0: podcast Star Trek The Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson
1: and I'm Gary Anderson
0: and we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we provide comments on episode 11 The Wolf Inside. Here's the main plot. The starship Discovery remains trapped in the mirror universe and Michael still commands the Shenzhou while trying to find a way to get information about the USS Defiant to Discovery in hopes of learning something that will allow them to get back to their universe. Michael receives orders from the Emperor to destroy a rebel-based camp housing the leader of the Resistance, a Klingon known as Firewolf. In an attempt to spare the rebel forces, Michael defies the orders, saying she wants to see if she can first find out information on other rebel camps to annihilate the resistance once and for all. At the camp, she finds an assortment of species, Andorians, Tellarites, Vulcans, and Klingons, as well as a mirror version of Sarek, who uses a mind mail to verify the truthfulness of Michael's intentions to help them. However, her plan to allow them to evacuate the planet is almost sabotaged by Tyler when Firewolf is revealed to be a mirror version of Vok. Tyler's true identity as Prime version Vok finally comes to the forefront as he shouts the Klingon mantra that one was always remain Klingon. The mirror version of Vok disarms Tyler but does not kill him after Michael pleads for him to spare Tyler's life and promises to give the rebels one hour to flee the planet. Back on the Shenzhou, Michael confronts Tyler and learns of his true Klingon identity and also that he has killed Dr. Kolber. His attempt to kill her is thwarted and his execution is arranged in which he is to be transported into open space. However, unbeknownst to anyone else on the Shenzhou, Michael has hidden the USS Defiant data on Tyler's person. She takes the transporter controls to beam him into space, but the Discovery then beams Tyler onto their ship where they are able to access the data and take him prisoner. Michael believes her plan to save the rebel leaders to be successful until another Terran ship arrives and torpedoes the planet before all the leaders are able to escape. The Emperor herself has arrived to carry out the mission and reveals herself as the mirror version of Michael's mentor and former captain, Philippa Giorgio. So let's start now talking about each of the characters and, and the development that they over uh uh undergo in this episode. So um I want to first talk about Ash Tyler because you know much of the episode really does um revolve around him. Mm-hmm. And so really at the most inopportune moments, Vak has surfaced as the dominant personality within the body of Ash Tyler. In episode ten, you know, as you know, we already said, he killed Dr. Colbert to keep from being discovered. Now in this episode, episode eleven, we learn he has escaped suspicion. Only because the doctor, that's Doctor Colbert, is found in the arms of Stamus. and you know Stannis has already shown erratic superhuman strength. In fact, in episode ten, he has struck Doctor right. Colbert. Right. So if they see um, you know him in uh, the arms of Doctor, they Dr. think, they think that
1: he's the one who snapped the neck.
0: Right. Right. In an irrational moment. Right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and and. Ash Tyler also, you know, obviously exemplifies the title of this episode, which is the wolf inside, right. because to say that. the wolf mm-hmm. is, you know, this darkness that he um, that comes out of him.
1: Well, it's the ferocity, it's the fierceness, it's the 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 um, unhinged or violent animal that is revealed, and in this case, the one of the obvious examples is you know vok being revealed inside of of the persona of Ash Tyler who's who has been they've been fighting this battle for a while now that he's had these visions and they keep on impacting him he's he's gone down and and almost released Laurel when they were still on the discovery and the trigger this time around is when he and ty uh Burnham go down to the planet and they are confronted with the the rebel leader Firewolf who they find out is the mirror version of Vok and the the thing that really kicks him off is the fact that this Vok this Klingon has partnered with Andorians and Tellurites and Vulcans basically created in the resistance something similar to the Federation from the Prime Universe, <laughs> and that is not the teachings of Kalish. That's right. That is not who the our Prime version of vok believes he is. Mm-hmm. He is he is following the teachings of Takuma, which is about remaining Klingon, which not being sullied or or dis or or um, destroyed by his association with other alien races, specifically humans. And so this situation, he's presented with a mirror version of himself almost that is a better leader, that is more effective. And But he, he does that by being completely antithetical to the teachings of Takuvma.
0: Yeah, that is so true. And so, you know, Gary Gary and I were talking about this, obviously, in preparation of this podcast, and we um, said to ourselves, you know, if you were to watch this episode, you may think, oh, his actions um, seem uh, to be inconsistent with what he wants. Um, you know, for instance, um, in the latter part of this episode, you know Vak declares to Michael that's Vak in the body of T- Tyler declares to Michael that his chief objective is to infiltrate the discovery crew mm-hmm. and with Laurel's assistance, mm-hmm. he's going to take over the ship you know and the it, and the reason why they're trying to do that is that you know the discovery is the prize' it's, it's the ship that it is the only thing that um, they think that the federation the has that can help them to win the war. Right. Exactly. And so, if he does that, he can reclaim his his place as the leader of the Klingons and bring them all together. Right. So, if that is his true objective, then why does he try to kill the Miravad? and subsequently, why does he try to uh, kill Michael? You know, surely any one of those rash actions would lead to the end of the mission. Right. And in addition, he's got to get back to the Prime um, Universe. Which is
1: going to need the assistance of the Federation crew members on the Discovery to do that. So holding himself, actually not revealing who he is, would have been a smarter thing to do than what he does. But the problem is is that, th- that Prime Vok is not effective Primevock is more of a believer but he's not he's not as strategically brilliant as the mirror version was.
0: So so let's talk a little bit about why we came to that conclusion. So, um, and so to do that, you know, Gary and I decided we had to rewatch right. episode four, the Butcher's Knife, and that seems to be like the least favorite episode <laughs> of all of our listeners, right, right. Uh, because you know it seems like very few people really want to deal with that episode. But there really is a lot of really good information very good inf- uh, in that episode. Because
1: now, because before this one. That's the last time we actually see Vok on screen.
0: Right. And we especially like to see the you know, the relationship between Vok and Lorel. Right. So in The Butcher's Night, we find that Vok's impulsive behavior is quite consistent yes. with the way his character has been drawn. Right, right. right. Okay. So if you recall in episode four, Uh, Vak, Laurel, and the crew of the sarcophagus have been stranded at the site of the Battle of Binary Stars for six months. They are starving, and they cannot last much longer. Uh, There, Vak affirms his belief that they will prevail, but he has resisted salvaging technology from the remnants of abandoned Starfleet ships, since he does not want to defile their Klingon vessel with that technology. Right. In
1: fact, what they need, they've actually been making improvements over the six months fixing what was damaged, but what they seriously need is a dilithium processing unit which there is a perfect one on the the Senzu that's left there. And because it's on a Federation ship, he refuses to get it. They yeah. are starving. They are, they can't move and there's nothing they can find to salvage from any of the Klingon vessels that are in the debris field around them. And instead of going and getting that from the Shinzu earlier, he finds himself, he puts himself in a situation where he's gonna let these people die because he's so rigidly adhering to this anti, um, anti-alien, this xenophobic attitude that Takuvma was preaching. And so he's 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 too rigid in regards to his po- approach to the way things ought to be.
0: Definitely, and you know, and so we would also contrast his behavior to that of Lorel, who really proves to be the resourceful one. Right, right. Um, she, she's a Klingon, but she uses logic and persuasion to convince Vok he must subjugate those thoughts in order to perform actions that will help them survive and move forward their goal of winning the war against the federation. Now in that episode, you also have another Klingon that um, arrives. That's uh, Call. Yeah, from the House of Core. Right. So he returns to the sarcophagus, and you find that Vok just naively welcomes him. <laughs> right. You know, as though Call has embraced Takuvna's philosophy, right. Advocating for the uniting of the twenty-four houses. It is Lorel, who looks upon Call with suspicion. Exactly. Exactly. And. Her suspicions are proven correct when they return from their salvage mission. Mm-hmm. call used food to gain the loyalty of the starving sarcophagus' crew and disavows any allegiance allegiance to Takuna's teaching again, a quick thinking Lorel feigns commitment to call in order to find a way to spare vox's life, who you know he orders that is call orders uh, L'Rell to kill, uh, Vok.
1: Right. And instead she tells him, she, t- she suggests that they put him, abandon him on the Shenzhou and leave him there to die, which is actually the one thing that saves him because what happens is eventually Lorel gets a, a raider. She escapes from, from um, Cole and comes back to get him, Um uh, but, uh, and then she then reveals that she has a plan on how they can proceed. And that's when the plan of capturing the, the discovery and reclaiming authority in the campaign during the war to uh, defeat the Federation and therefore put in place the, the unification of the Klingon Empire in the following of Takuma in the name of Kalish that, they, uh, that that it's set up. She's the one who comes up with that idea. She's the one who pre- presents him with the way they're going to do this, which is where she says, you know, he asks, you will have to sacrifice, and he says, what? And she, and she says everything, and now we know what everything was.
0: Yeah, and so she... It- so she's the one who initiates that right, plan, as right, you were saying. Right. But she almost doesn't get to get that out because when she arrives, you know, he tries to kill her. Right, he tries to kill her, yeah. and so um, you know, if looking back on this, if one would objectively um, assess who possesses superior leadership qualities, one would have to choose Lorel. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, in fact, in that same episode, The Butcher's Knife, in one scene, even Vaughn questions whether Lorel harbors any discontent for being passed over as Takuma's anointed successor. You know, after all, she's related to Takuma, right. and she's faithfully served by his side for years. Right. Uh, but she contends she'd rather serve as his protector and enforcer. You know, for us, she's reminiscent of the Klingon Duras sisters. The Duras
1: sisters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. from the
0: Next Generation series. Beter
1: and Lursa.
0: So, because like Laurel, their gender seems to be the only reason why uh, they must lead in the shadows Mm -hmm. of males who are really unworthy of the leadership roles they were given.
1: They also find themselves being the more strategically and more um, devious planners so that they actually set up the circumstances around which the male Klingons actually function.
0: Definitely. So, um, as Gary uh, said, ironically, Vox Mirror version demonstrates that he actually does have the leadership, you know, qualities needed for someone to unite the races. And the, and the perfect
1: example of that is the fact that when the resistance. Rebels Lee, uh, capture Burnham and Tyler. They do bring them alive to the camp. He does confront her, and in this mirror universe, the mirror Burnham also killed Takuvma in front of him. So he 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 has animus, serious animus, and w- wants to seek revenge on his his beloved leader, right. his mentor. Right. By, he wants to kill this Burnham because he thinks she's the Burnham who killed his leader. And yet, instead of that, he negotiates with her. He allows her to be, um, have her mind melded with the mirror Sarek. And he takes that that Sarek's judgment as gospel. All these things he does, which shows him in a, as a much more effective leader than. The, the prime version of Vogue.
0: That's right. That's right. Because he allows um, other people around him or other beings around him to actually question his decision. In fact,
1: they have a huge influence on his decisions. Right. And it's not it's not by um, flattering him or conjoling no. him or seducing him. It's about presenting him with evidence or information that he then uses to make an appropriate judgment. That's right. Which again is different than the way we see Prime vok both engaging with with Laurel and or anybody else. Right.
0: So so we see that Vach is lost in a blinding hatred that is destined to consume him and prevent him from achieving his ultimate goal. Yeah. So but let's switch gears now and let's look at cadet Sylvia Tilly. And you know, I mean we all know that, you know, for some fans they they don't like her. It seems like there's fans that like her there's fans that don't like her, but I've always been of the camp that I, I've always liked Cadet Tilly. And I'm glad in, in this episode, once again, she's able to prove her mettle. So um, the subplot is actually driven by Cadet uh, Tilly, who has assumed the role of her mirror counterpart as the captain of the Shenzhou. Although she thinks Dr. Colbert died by Stamets' hands, she believes he did not do so consciously. Right, right. She knows Stamets will die if she cannot find a way to stabilize the changes, these massive changes occurring in his body, especially um, those changes uh, happening in in his brain. However, she believes she must treat him with spores instead of known medical strategies.
1: That the spores have uh, influence over life and death and that the thing that she sees from her study both of the tardigrade and of the changes that have occurred in Stamets brain that that what they what he needs is to try to create the network that he's been they've been traveling on through with the spore drive they need to recreate it actually inside of him and so she exposes him to a series of the of the spores while he is in the chamber in in an attempt to try to um, fix what's going wrong.
0: So initially it appears that she's making progress uh, as Stamus seems to respond to her treatment. However, Saru orders a medical team uh, to the lieutenant, uh, to tend to the lieutenant when his vital signs crash. Tilly's thinks they've lost Stamets, but he later seems to show signs of recovery. In fact, his consciousness has transcended to a spore-filled forest where he meets his mirror counterpart. Nothing more is revealed about Stamets' state in this episode. However, we learn more about Tilly. For all those who, again, doubted her capacity to take Uh, to one day take on a leadership role, this episode proves her worth. She is resourceful, compassionate, optimistic, and displays an ability to analyze a problem and identify the appropriate solution. Moreover, as Gary has already talked about, he introduces us to the concept of the spores serving as a bridge between life and death. And both Gary and I believe that this may be the key to resurrecting Dr. Colbert.
1: Yeah, there may be a way in which somehow Stamich utilizes his connection to the spores, to the forest, to revive the, his dead husband.
0: So um, now let's go to talk about Michael Burnham, um, who, you know, once again, we feel we must praise the work of Sonequa Martin-Green. I mean, what other actress can you name could so convincingly portray the dramatic swings found in this episode?
1: Yeah, she has to go through a pretty heavy um, swing between, you know, um, remorse, a sen- sense of fear um, anger rage uh, and she has to do that in a consistent a very believable approach from the beginning of it with, with her, her voiceover where she once again talks about the sense of fear that is here and that's another thing that, that is harped on since we've been in the mirror universe we've po- constantly been re- presented with an interpretation of this world being based completely on fear, your fear of constantly having yourself, you know, if you, if you achieve position, some position, you have to constantly be in fear of losing it. And so you act in such a way that to maintain your power by quelching any, any, um, anybody attempting to assassinate you or overthrow you. You see how the way they engage with other species is through the sense of fear. um, And Trust is not an, uh, a, a word that is in the Terran Empire. So she displays, in, in her situation, she has to trust the two people that are on the ship with her. She has to trust, you know, Ash, and she has to trust Lorca. And in the case of both of them, we start to question the circumstances under, under which she's actually putting her, placing her trust.
0: So um you know there there's an american saying that you know if you get down in the mud mm-hmm. you know you're going to behave in that way you know if you stay down there you know you know uh Michelle Obama you know who we miss. You know, see. You know, more, much more frequently. Uh, say. You know, if they go low, we go high, right. and that's because if you stay low, the fear is is that you're gonna start behaving right. like that, and that's gonna be the new normal for you. Right. And
1: and that's what that's what Michael is afraid of. That she is getting, her performance is becoming too easy for her, and that that this constant exposure to this very ruthless untrustworthy violent world is eventually going to write some indelible marks on her personality that she will not be able to release when she goes back to the prime universe because that's her goal
0: so so let let's just mention again uh, some of the few you know really Dramatic changes that, I mean, or circumstances, I should say, that she has to deal with.
1: Right. She first is presented with the mirror version of her adopted father. She sees him, and that in itself is a shock. She's exposed to a mind melt with him in which she reveals all of the experiences that she has had with her prime version of Sarek to the mirror version of Sarek. she she and and she's laid open to that and that's in a in a, in a true sense um allows her to be presented um nakedly to this man
0: and in a in another scene well the, one of the first scenes that happens in the episode she listens to her lover who is you know ash tyler right. uh who um Says that she serves as a tether to his reality, right. and she confesses to him, You remind me of everything good and what I want my world to look like. But then, in another scene, she finds out, in reality, you know, this body of Ash Tyler actually harbors, you know, Vok, the fanatic Klingon disciple of Takuma, who, you know, this. Uh, who Takuma is a person who she killed, you know, and that's Vok's spiritual leader, and um, you know she and remember that she's killed Takuma after witnessing um, Captain George brutal death by Takuma's hand.
1: Okay, well then I guess the next major traumatic moment is when um, Vok is revealed, and the and explains how he was surgically altered to appear to be human that he is actually just vok and that he had he too holds the animus of wanting to kill bynum burnham because burnham killed um Mm tekuvma and so he proceeds to go through with that by strangling her and forcing her against the wall and he almost succeeds until the mirror version of Saru takes him and throws him against the bulkhead
0: right they um uh, one thing I think we should clear up because it seems like there's some confusion in some of the fan sites and um and that is that again the the version of Ash Tyler that we see is a surgically altered Vox. Right, that is right. Vox body right. that has been surgically altered, um, but there really was a Lieutenant Ash Tyler right, right. that was on that prison ship, right. and it you know, and we're presuming that he was killed. But that they had take they had taken um, the Klingons had taken an imprint of his personality and applied it to Vogue.
1: Right. And and we've seen the fact that Vulcans have been able to surgically alter, I mean, uh, Klingons, excuse me, right. have been able to surgically alter themselves and present themselves against our sensors yes. as humans. That's before, right. Because Darwin, the assistant in the episode Troubles with Tribbles, does that. That's he, right. He, he passes through, he beams back and forth from the, the station to the Enterprise and a number of other opportunities going through sensors and doesn't trip any of them. That's right. And it's not until um, he's confronted with a trouble that we find out that he actually is a Klingon. That's right. So in this situation, <laughs> what we're looking at is a, s- a similar set of surgeries that have been done. The only difference here is that He's he's also had the Vok has also had another personality imprinted on his that is that is laid on top of his while his true identity is dormant to function in this body.
0: That's right. So there's one other um, you know dramatic moment where you know that that (laughs) that she must face and that is you know that Michael must face and that is. Uh, when she learns that the legendary and merciless Terran Emperor is the mirror version of her mentor Captain Giorgio um, yet Sadiqa Martin Green shows that she is at the top of her game with all of these portrayals. We find her performance to be so convincing as that uh, as well as that of uh Shazad Latif, who plays Ash Tyler. That the Television Academy should seriously address its long-standing bias against sci-fi shows. You know, they really should find a place for Emmy nominations for these actors of the Discovery series.
1: Yeah, the thing here is that again, because of the range of emotions that they have to display in this in this this episode specifically, when. When 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 Tyler and Burnham get back from having negotiated with the resistance, and they're in her quarters, and she finally lets go, she lets her anger be revealed to how upset she is and concerned about him, and how he that this is yet another incident where he could not hold it. Um, she relates back to the conversation they had when they were laying in bed, and about when Tyler says, "You're my tether." And she says, I need a tether too. The, the, the thing is, the, the thing that's so interesting is that in both the A plot and the B plot of this episode are really led by the female characters. And this one is Burnham and her attempts to try to find a way of addressing the problems of, uh, of how to get the information about the USS Defiant and all the actions that occur around that. And with the B plot, it's Tilly who's trying to Assistant, um resuscitating, stem saving him because he's deteriorating. He's gonna die, and you really get to see in both of those female characters, those actresses, uh, a real quality to the strength of this of this show. I mean, I and so I think that that allows us to really um, seek in and see that this is not just this is not a traditional Star Trek show. There are a number of things that that are perfectly aligned with canon, but. They're also the the stakes are higher. Um, What's at what can be lost is greater than what we've seen before, right? And how they are giving us a much more detailed painting of the mirror universe than we've ever been presented with before is really quite enticing. And because, although in the original series with the first episode, the mirror, mirror. You have a sense of what it, you know, what it's like. The, the, and the, and they are in danger. Don't get me wrong. In fact, out of the four, the one character that's in probably closest to, to, what's de- we're dealing with in these episodes is probably Ahura. She's the one who's closest to being, you know, physically harmed. or. That's raped.
0: right. That's right
1: you don't you don't have the sense the you don't get the true sense of the level of fear that we now see presented here and how tenuous living day to day is in this in this environment. And it's really because of the performance of of Martin Green who you really see because now now that Tyler has been revealed and to the crew of the ISS Shinzu, he's dead. Right. She's only got Lorca and 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 although he, there's he he's not in a whole lot of scenes, that to me is not necessarily that's not a rock on which you can stand <laughs>
0: well let's let's go and talk about Lorca a little bit more uh he's the really the last character that I think we want to deal with now it's not that Lorca's in a lot of scenes nope, nope. in it, but um, but we see uh something about Lorca that again. You know, um, um, just makes you you feel
1: uncomfortable.
0: Right, makes us feel uncomfortable. So, after Tyler's true identity is revealed, Lorca really shows no remorse with the loss, although Lorca had personally chosen Tyler to serve as his chief of security. He seems to
1: be satisfied that he's gone, actually.
0: In fact, you know, both Gary and I joked that. The that chief of security position should be the new red shirt because, <laughs> you know, uh, we, the first one, uh Landry, yep. was killed... Uh, in the butcher's knife. In the butcher's knife. Uh, and now Tyler is certainly no longer going to be the yeah. chief of security, you know, now that we know that he's a Klingon a spy. And instead... Uh, Instead of Lorca showing any kind of remorse, he instead takes Michael's hand Mm -hmm. and tells her, we will survive this place together. So this action feeds into our theory that Lorca is actually uh, from the mirror universe, and he and mirror Michael may have been co-conspirators against the emperor, or they may have been romantically involved, or both things may be true.
1: Yeah, I, I really do believe that there's a, there was some kind of familial relationship, some kind of romantic relationship between this Lorca, who we suspect is the mirror version of Lorca, and the mirror Bur- by Burnham, which may or may not be dead.
0: Exactly, you know? exactly. Right, because all they said was they're presumed dead, right. so... Right. Uh, we haven't seen the uh, the body yet, you know, they haven't yeah. confirmed it. So I do not I s
1: so, su- I don't I don't subscribe to that notion that if there's no body there's Well there's that's no what death. the
0: producers said in the after Trek. I
1: know I don't subscribe well, to that, but I think in this situation, I, I do believe in this situation. Yeah,
0: yeah that we're gonna I th- think, th- we think she's, gonna pop, I think she's gonna pop up. I think she's gonna pop up. Yep. And then also, um when the Emperor appears in the last scene of the episode as the mirror image of Philip. But uh, Giorgio, you will notice a slight smile on Lorca's face, right. seemingly in reaction to Michael's shocked look of recognition. Mm-hmm. His look of perverse pleasure with the situation seems to be t- seems to signal a sense of familiar familiarity not possible by someone only recently familiar with the history, customs, and personages personages of the mirror universe. Yeah,
1: I suspect that the mission to get information about the Defiant may have been a way for them, or this is just my theory, either to get the Defiant so that they could use it in some attack on the Emperor, or it allows them to get closer to the Emperor so that Lorca can fulfill the, the the actions that he initially tried, which was to overthrow her and become leader of the Terran Empire. Because I think right. I think I think that's his objective. I think he seeks to do that with this Burnham at his side. And because he his advice to her continuously is to adopt more behavior that would be Consistent with living in this universe, that's he is—he is, right. is not—he's right. not—he's not admonishing her for breaking Starfleet rules. He's not the one who's constantly reminding her of that they are Starfleet. He's telling her to act the way that, that's appropriate and indiscriminately kill people, like that's right. when they get the, the the orders to destroy the Resistance base initially. Yep. So that's the podcast. So now it's your turn. Um, please communicate with us through Twitter on at Star Trek AOD or at our Facebook page, Facebook.com, Star Trek AOD, and let us know what you think about um, what was the mirror Michael's history with the Emperor. Do you have any ideas as to what their relationship is before next week's episode, which I'm assuming is gonna tell us what their relationship was. Um Will Captain Lorca reveal himself to be the mirror version of, of, of Lorca? Um, what rebels survived the Emperor's attack? Uh, I'm assuming that, at least I'm hoping, that Vok and Sarek survived it so that we can see and engage with them somewhere over the next four episodes. What rebels, um, what, what will Stamets learn from his mirror version? about his condition and about the circumstances using the spore network. How and when will Discovery finally return to their own universe? Is that going to be a cliffhanger at the end of this this season, or are we going to find ourselves still committed to this mirror universe world?
0: So until then,
1: live long and prosper.